one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Dirtbomb video games are back. Dude, I feel like we've said this for five weeks in a row yeah. now, which is really exciting because <laughs> video games are overwhelming right now in yes. a good way. I in think. a ridiculous way. You know that whole thing with like the, is it the jealous girlfriend meme or whatever it is? I know that's a very common meme and I should know what it is. Yes. The one of like, the person looking around and someone else is walking the other way. Distracted boyfriend meme. That one. Yeah, yeah whatever it is. That thing. I, I feel like it's been referred to as both, but it is clearly both. Yes. But anyway, um, I feel like my entire backlog is the one looking at me, looking at um, Final Fantasy XVI's demo that's dropping this afternoon and I should be playing Diablo mm. 4 I should be playing um, Dead Space I should be playing everything else but I'm not gonna God man I love Dead Space but I want you to kill that game please kill it for <laughs> me every like week probably even more frequently than that you say I should play Dead I Space I really should you're not gonna play Dead Space man I think this I might though too many games you right now you said this about Resi 4 and then I, what did I do I played it I but Resi 4 is better it is than Dead Space mm. so I wanted you to go back to that more because I knew there was a great game underneath there yes. we'd have great discussions about it I unfortunately <laughs> for as much as I love Dead Space and would mm. recommend it don't think we're gonna be talking about that game in the same way we're gonna be talking about Resi 4 no. come the end of the year that's very true I mean I just have that whole thing where I think everybody has at the minute with the amount of first party or the amount of AAA games rather that are mounting up right now where it's because I was like I'll get Diablo 4 because that thing is reviewing extremely well and I didn't like Diablo 3 very much but our own Adam Stroner from the main channel was like this game is incredible it's my mm. game of the year so far I've seen a lot of people say that so I was like I'll get that but I can't start another brand new 70 pound game before I finish at least Resident Evil 4 or Dead Space so I'm back on Resi 4 and I was like well I'll finish Resi 4 and then I'll do Diablo and then I'll do Final Fantasy 16 <laughs> but by the time Final Fantasy 16 gets here I'll just have finished Resident Evil 4 and I'll probably not even start Diablo. So I don't even know what this is anymore. They're huge games as well. Like, yeah. Even Resi 4, considering it's a, you know, a third-person survival horror shooter, yes. that took me 20 hours shooter. to finish, and I played it for 60 hours because I kept going through it over <laughs> and over again. I feel like you. I've come off a string of incredibly lengthy games, you mm. know, going from Resi, going to Zelda, playing a bunch of stuff in the middle that mm. were just as long. Um, it feels like a lot of stuff to the point where at the weekend on Friday night, when I finally finished, Tears of the Kingdom, a game mm. I really enjoyed. I was relieved I was going to have a bit of a break, to be honest. I <laughs> can was, breathe again. I, I can breathe again because it was game to game to game to mm. game to game, which, you know, is, is a strange thing to complain about. But I like that I get to reset the palette now <laughs> and then see what comes next. That was kind of the thing with Tears, because I feel like a lot of these games, like you said, are massive. They're sort of defaulting to 100 hours. I feel like that's the go-to hour count for AAA games or like sort of uh, more recommendable games is that you will just put a casual 100 hours into each one of these in 
in a row. And um, there's also little things like humanities in there as well. Really nice little, um, you know, PlayStation puzzle-based game. Lego 2K Drive, which I mentioned a lot. We're not sponsored by it at all, <laughs> but I've enjoyed my time with that game a lot. I also just got Bat Boy, which well, is very much a Shovel Knight game on Switch. This is it, man. Humanity, I also want to play mm. because apparently that's really good on PSVR 2 as well. You can play it on the PSVR, PS5 nah. as long as the PSVR 2. Don't nah. nah. Don't nah. I just can't afford it. I don't, I'm going to have to wait until there's more stuff. Fair enough. What you can afford, though, is yeah. Amnesia the Bunker, which I think I'm going to play next. <laughs> I was so buzzing when I found out that was on Game Pass. Yeah. I've yet to start it, but this weekend, I'm going to play Amnesia the Bunker. Scott Tilford, <laughs> it's a crisp four to six hours, I've been told, I mean, by the internet. That'll tell you anything. Amazing. Amazing, because what you were saying there, I was actually thinking about the other night. I mm. remember doing a Chatty Faces years ago, right. where we were talking about the game that we put the most time into, okay. and Fallout 4 felt significant for me, because mm-hmm. it was the first game I'd ever crossed the 100-hour threshold after 25-plus years of gaming. Now, Ooh. I feel like I do 100 hours in every single game I was going to say I that's play. every other game at this point. Yeah, I know, which is just like I was thinking about that and the time investment that you put in, and I'm gaming more than ever, which is good, mm. but it's it's crazy when you look at something like Tears of the Kingdom or even a Jedi Survivor or a Resident Evil 4, and you think, yep, that's going to be weeks, <laughs> weeks of time, and there's so much coming out. The thing, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to things taper off a bit across July. I don't think there's anything massive in July. I'm probably forgetting something. Not in July, um, I think all August is when it like August is when it kicks back, back in because yeah. that's Starfield and Sea of Stars and whatever. But I'm thinking that July is going to be like the summer bit where I'll sort of get to actually just relax a bit and mop everything else up. I won't. I'll just play Street Fighter Street 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 Six. That was, that's my game of the year so far. That's the thing that I'm playing in between everything else. But that game also has a story mode, so I keep getting lost in that. Point being that there's a hell of a lot of games um, right now, and I tell you what, actually, I'll throw in here. I should also say I've taken antihistamine. The hay fever is oh, sky okay. high. That's why my mind is all over the place. But in terms of video games, I played Lies of P. The Lies of P you demo. Play- Oh, I forgot that was out. Liza P demo came out during the Summer Games Fest. And um, <laughs> I think people will like it. People yeah. will like it. That's what you call the fans. People. P- ah, very nice. People very because nice. it's just, it's so nakedly wanting to be a Souls game. It's yeah. so just like the UI, the animation, the roll, uh, rolling animation. I just kind of, I think for me, I am burned out on that genre. I think if yeah. you really like it, um, you know, if you're just sort of up for more soul stuff, regardless of anything, you'll probably click with it. But I sort of played it and went, this is exactly the thing that you're aping and I'm bored. That's exactly what I want. Man. I think you might do. I know, I know. I'm an absolute sucker for <laughs> souls clones, you know, even if they are just blatant kind mm. of, we'll take this, you know, aesthetic. We'll take this gameplay mechanic and we'll mm. implement it here in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. I love playing them all. In Lies of P looks like one of the most polished one of those. Yes. Because you, you get a lot of indie efforts that try to ape the style and do it quite well, mm. but they lack, obviously, the production budget of a From Software game with all of these lavish levels and oh, yeah. massive length and all of these, you know, cool enemy variations but Liza P kind of looks like it has that which oh, is man. Like the, interesting the best thing about it like you said it's, it's sort of this like in, the, the thing that I've we'll get onto conference stuff in a bit like Summer Games first, Xbox Showcase whatever I feel like there is this rising tide at the minute that has raised all ships where even various games that you don't even you've not even heard of the developers for are putting out things that can contend with the AAAs or at least can be mentioned in the same breath of them Liza, Liza P looks incredible and like yeah that game can easily contend with the Dark Souls with the Bloodborne's visually at least 
Um, and I like all the production that's been put into the cutscenes and the general idea of like reimagining the Pinocchio story, but as this really dark sort of like more like Pan's Labyrinth, more like a Guillermo del Toro type spin on it, um, which is great. I love all that stuff. I think that stuff is great. And um, it was just in the way that I was playing it. I was like, I'm fighting the boss the same way. I'm doing yeah. the same stuff. They do have um, one of the single coolest additions, um, especially if you've like been playing these games for a while, which is a button dedicated to removing your weapon's durability going down. Oh, so you sick. specifically just stand there and you shine your blade on your little metal arm and it makes it like sharp again. Amazing. And so you're kind of doing that in between every fight to make sure you're always going in with the sharpest blade. But the idea of addressing like, you know, dura- well, weapon durability or weapon sharpness or whatever, I feel like is something that will speak to a lot. I mean, I, it, it was one of the things in the demo that I went, that's cool. I like right. that you've done that. Right. Um, but yeah, just shouting that came out. The demo was available, came out during the Summer Games Fest. And and if you're if you're have been hankering for Bloodborne on next gen, I have. It's not fully that, okay. But it looks it, they're definitely taken from that. There's some areas in it where I was like, this is exactly the same level layout as Bloodborne. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Very much connoting that game. It's funny, man, because that and um, Lords of the Fallen, mm. uh, both are very obviously after the same crown this yes. year, and yeah. both of them look at least visually like properly spectacular. Mm. I think Lord of the, Lords of the Fallen has embraced the From Software aesthetic so much to the point where when I was watching that (laughs) gameplay reveal a few weeks ago with my Mm. partner, she was like, this literally looks like all of the different areas from Dark Souls 3 (laughs) and Bloodborne meshed together. To someone on the outside not following it, it can easily be mistaken for it. But, you know, as someone who tries to play as many of these Soulsborne games and uh, their inspirations as possible, Mm. or not inspirations, imitators, I suppose... Uh, to use a derogatory term, I mm-hmm. suppose. Uh, I, I I can't get enough. So well, the thing is with with the original Lords of the Fallen, that was what worked in its favor because I remember really liking that game because we hadn't had a next gen Souls game yet, and and I liked the idea of just it was Lords of the Fallen on PS4, and I, I I thought at the time it moved really well, and I liked all the XP systems and everything. Um, but yeah, Liza P is solid. I just for me it it didn't carve its own like niche out other than in terms of the story and I guess the little bits of the presentation and um, but mostly it was so soulsy. Let's talk about Summer Games first because I feel like overall and we'll get onto Xbox stuff in a bit um, there's such a wider conversation going on as to like what people want from showcases what the general reception was to each one obviously the PlayStation showcase was pretty much hated me and you liked it you can watch our yeah. re- um, re- reaction to it over on the channel um, we at the time thought there were good I mean still do thought there's a good selection of games on there and I get the conversation around you know CG like over gameplay at the time for the PlayStation one how that kind of sucked. I wasn't really thinking of it in that way at the time. I was just excited to see the games that were there. But I feel like through Summer Games Fest, and especially Xbox, especially because on the Xbox side, you had Aaron Greenberg just saying, we're only going to do gameplay stuff and first party. Um, and you know, we're, gonna, like, we're not going to show any movie trailers, all these little jabs at Sony. Right, yeah. um, and we'll get to that in a bit. But Summer Games Fest is the one that's kind of sitting in the middle. It's either some people's favorite, like it is with me, um, or it's the one that didn't land. And it was a bit like the, show, the PlayStation Showcase, where it was just like, it just nothing really like blew people away. Yeah, with the Summer Game Fest one, it it was, it was funny, man, because after Sony, which I really liked, I mm. thought something like Summer Games Fest, which was so overtly gameplay-focused and kind of has that classic E3 theatricality because you've got mm. Jeff Keighley all the way through hosting it. Live audience. He's, live audience. You're bringing people on, developers, publishers, and you're talking to them about the games. Like, I love that Same, stuff. Yeah. And for me, Summer Games Fest as a show, as a produced show, was spot on. It mm. gave me that E3 feeling. You know, it scratched that itch. I thought the way it was constructed, the way it, it was paced was really well done. Mm. It's just that I have some gripes 
about it that are, I think, legitimate gripes. Yeah. I also have some gripes about it from a purely subjective, personal taste perspective, where, unfortunately for that show, from a pure my taste perspective, none of the games were just my thing, which is a shame, <laughs> apart from the ones we already knew about. Yeah. So if you, if you will permit me, Scott Tilford, I, I want to jump into some of my gripes for this show, because my main issue with the Summer Games Fest is that its best games were stuff that we already knew about. Mm. It didn't have those kind of big reveals for me. It was oh, just kind We'll get back around to it. We'll get back around to it. There obviously were a few, but the big takeaways from me were Alan Wake 2, were Mortal Kombat, even stuff like Lies of P. Mm. They've been announced we've seen before, and what sums up the show to me is when Jeff got Nick Cage out, which in as a moment, is meme-worthy, <laughs> is amazing. You're getting caught up in the hype of this movie star that everyone loves coming out on stage. But it didn't work for me because it didn't have the heart and soul that the Keanu um, reveal did at Cyberpunk in that, you know, Nick Cage was there, great, but it was for a game that's really old, not mm. great. It's for a, a crossover that had already been announced a few weeks ago. We already knew Nick Cage was going to be in the game, yeah, so it's like yeah. you're not really revealing anything new. Plus, he's just like a skin. Like and it's not like he's like because when they showed the gameplay, it actually looked ter- pretty terrible. That's like, it, right? Yeah. And he's just kind of a skin. It's a content pack. It's not like a single player thing. Mm. He's not going to be like a main character. It's like it's like this nice thing, but it's not Keanu coming out announcing one that he's in the game and is playing playing a main role, mm-hmm. and two showing us more footage about a game we wanted to see. To me, it was just indicative of, of this show being like all kind of frills and mm. all kind of set dressing but like the content for me just wasn't quite there it didn't quite justify that level of grandeur that mm-hmm. was given it I'll oh, see for me with Summer Games first like it was like I said before it was that idea of like some of the indies some of the smaller teams like stepping up and there's one game that I keep mentioning called Banishers um, Ghosts of New Eden it's the next game from the Vampire, Vampire devs uh, Don't Nod and I was so pleasantly surprised by Vampire that I love them doing something that looked like it plays like God of War mm. um, and it, or plays like Evil West I feel like God of War is like low-key becoming a big genre influencer in terms of its third-person action, even though it is in itself Last of Us with a heavier melee combat. Right. Um, to be super like reductive about it, that's <laughs> what it reminds me of because it is the Sony formula given the melee combat. Um, but yeah, seeing them step up and just sort of like be able to have something that, again, like for me, can contend visually with everything else. Um, and it is a new IP and it does have more to it. Um, I love the look of that thing. Things like Under the Waves as well and Sandland. I mean, I was blown away by all this stuff. So like Sandland obviously is massively Akira Toriyama meets Mad Max, um, Under the Waves as well. Um, I forget the name of the, the devs that are putting that together, but just that idea of new IP, new ideas, new gameplay mechanics, like in the Xbox One, um, there was that game that was all about climbing called Jusant, and it's like little things like that where, for me, I've been so, and I harp on about this all the time for new gameplay ideas and new IP, that I was just so glad to see new IP. Right. And there were old things in there, and things that we knew that had been there before, like Mortal Kombat or whatever, but um, for me, it was like fresh takes on stuff, like Prince of Persia, The Lost Kingdom, uh, or Lost Crown, I think, looks effing awesome for yeah. me. I was I was blown away by that thing. And when they revealed it was Prince of Persia, I, I popped massive. Because <laughs> hey. um, I love Prince of Persia. Um, oh, I didn't even think of that. I did. Yep. I popped. That's what, that's what they should call the uh, the marketing campaign. Um, there was a new Sonic in there as well. Like, whatever. The established stuff for me hit big. And then the fact that they, like, bolstered that with all of these fresh IPs or fresh ideas. Right. I really liked. But um, it's not going to be for everyone. Something like Sandland, like... I just think that's gonna that people would bounce off that if you're not super up for like the Dragon Ball artist takes on Mad Max. Yeah, I think that's it, man. Like Under the Waves was the one thing from the Summer Game Fest that we didn't already know about that really mm. got me intrigued. That is very much my thing, and I'm gonna be following that until it launches. Mm-hmm. Just 
for me, while I normally when we watch a showcase, when I watch the show, when I watched the Sony showcase, and when I watched the Microsoft showcase, there were a lot of games there that weren't my thing, but I at least could appreciate them right. for what they were. And I feel like you know my my taste isn't that limited. I never go into a show wanting one thing specifically. Mm. You know, I, I I like to be wowed at stuff that I didn't know I wanted, which I got a lot of in the uh, Microsoft. Mm. Uh, conference but from a pure taste level the summer games fest output just didn't have much there that it excited me even for other people almost you know a lot of the new ips that were there Uh it's of course cool to see new ip but i mean i've talked about this to you so much over in the days <laughs> since that show, but yes. so much of it felt like just, oh, it's another fantasy, um, it's another fantasy game, it's another sci-fi fantasy game set in a barren plain or a barren right. desert, and we're kind of doing very similar things. Aesthetically, I thought a lot of them looked quite um, similar, mm. um, and that was kind of a little bit frustrating for me, because Under the Waves was so special, because it was the only one in that showcase, again, apart from your Mortal Kombat and Alan Wakes, uh, the new stuff mm. that kind of like looked a little bit different so it instantly kind of got my attention yeah for me there's like this wider conversation on like what what my mindset should you not this isn't for you i just mean mm-hmm. as, a, as a wider conversation because talking to other people who have watched the showcase it, the reason that they were like more disappointed is because they did want something specific and i know you don't go in that way but i think a lot of people do and i definitely used to as well it's like looking for this specific leak or looking for this specific reveal and when you don't get that it's like ah it was a waste of time right and like i just for me i'm like that's just a wider talking point and like in terms of the more of these showcases that we get, the more that they are like publisher specific now, like whether that be the console manufacturers um, or like, you know, we've got the Capcom one, there was the Devolver one, Ubisoft is coming up soon. Um, there's like a Ryo Gakotoku one for the uh, the like a Dragon devs. Like the more of these that we get, like to me, that needs to be like a change in how we approach them. And just like, I'm not saying you just be happy about everything, but like, um, yeah, I'm just curious how people in general view them. If yeah. it's like, are, are you going in going, well, I hope this specific thing is here um, or not. And is that going to change? Because like, this is one of the first years where it's a really strong summer showcase overall, um, but not if you're going in for specific stuff yes. because there wasn't a Naughty Dog reveal at Sony and there wasn't a Gear 6 at Microsoft uh, or Xbox. And um, and Keeley's ending thing was Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which I thought he absolutely bungled, like just absolutely dropped the ball and shat on it for the most part <laughs> because it was just that whole thing where he's like, at the beginning of the show, it was like, oh, well, we have this incredible reveal. You're not going to want to miss it. Yeah. And he's going to have to talk like that because it makes sense. But then at the end, when it was all like really tragic, it out and really at the rumors were true. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Is this gonna be the Final Fantasy IX remake? That's what I thought. We I really only thought it was because he teased Final Fantasy earlier and then it was a burrito, so like whatever. And then at the end, it was Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which it's not that it doesn't look great and there's a ton of gameplay there and it's, it's a big payoff to how the open world's gonna look in seven, but it wasn't that like hair blown back, didn't expect this, oh my god, thing, yeah, which is in motion because of years of E3 and because of years of, of expectation. And it's like, it does there need to be a fundamental change of the expectation, or is it the, the fault? quote unquote or is it the job of someone like Akili to know what he should end on yeah Phil Spencer bungled his as well at the end of the Xbox thing true not that Starfield doesn't look great but saying there's one more thing and then it's something you've already talked about is pretty flat I think it's establishing the level of expectation going into it I Mm. remember when Summer Game Fest the show first started and I had no expectations because you know we didn't know if it was going to be an E3 competitor Mm. we just knew it was going to be an extra showcase and I was kind of pleased to get whatever I wanted but Mm. now that or whatever I got sorry but now that E3 has gone away and now that the hype for Summer Game Fest you know naturally because of course Jeff and Cole want to sell this show they want people watching it Mm. it kind of goes through the roof but I just wonder if the pull 
to get those big reveals just isn't quite there yet. I'm sure it will mm. eventually become this huge thing where publishers are wanting to debut the biggest games on that stage, but right there, it just doesn't seem quite like that. So no. we get these situations where you are hyping up something like Final Fantasy VII, which people do want to see, but it's not ending the show on a kind of huge bombshell, like even, like you said, you know, another Final Fantasy remake perhaps would. And that's kind of where I think it's a little bit of a shame because at, the, at one point I'm buying into the hype mm. and I'm not quite getting the payoff for that. To me, the Final Fantasy VII thing was just indicative of the show as a whole where it's like, if you're wanting updates on games that are already announced, mm. you're probably going to have a great time. But for me to end on that, it's like that could have been its own trailer. That could have been yeah. in between a bunch of other stuff at the Sony conference as an ender. I just, mm-hmm. I want something a little bit, a little bit more substantial. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I think it is it is just like a weird tempered expectation thing. And like, it, should the expectations be accepted as being lowered because it's not an E3 and there used to be so much money put behind this individual event and there was an inbaked assumption of competition that just isn't there anymore um, because all these different um, companies were competing with each other, but now they're just in separate streams. Um, I quite like the way that, I mean, it's in the Xbox thing, but I like the idea of the way Ubisoft approached it with their Star Wars game where it's like, here's a little teaser and then come watch this thing for more. I yeah. like the idea of that for Starfield as well. It's like, we'll, we'll flesh it out later. Well, uh, unfortunately, the best thing in the Summer Games Fest lineup, again, for me personally, this mm. is not me saying it's a bad show or anything, just from a pure taste perspective, was the little snippet we got from the Annapurna publishers' yes. Yes. Uh, sizzle reel about what they were going to reveal. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so bummed that we didn't get more information from this uh, showcase right. and that we kind of had to wait for their own mm-hmm. because, for me, the best part of Summer Games Fest's conference was an advert for someone else's <laughs> conference. And that's like, on the one hand, it's cool that you get those little teasers, but also I'm like, oh, man, if, if those games were in there or mm-hmm. Annapurna had a bigger presence in the SGF conference itself, mm. I think I'd have been way more hot in it because then it's like, oh, there's there's something I'm interested. That's mm. that's something a little bit different. It feels like a big pull, but when it's just an advert for their own thing, it's like, oh, maybe you, could you not get them fully? Or you've well, I guess a like, partnership? I don't know. That's that weird thing of like from the publisher's point of view, they must be thinking, well, what do we need this for? What are we actually going to use this for? Because the reason that the ASA lost everybody for E3 was because of how much they were charging to be part of it um, when there is the viability to do your own separate stream. So I wonder how Penny Pinchy or whatever the various um, publishers are where they're just like well we can just use this as an advert and then we'll pocket all the streaming money or whatever when you watch our show um, or is that better because we can curate the message differently and we don't have to worry about getting lost in the the media um, coverage of like a wider event like maybe that just benefits them to be separate and um, I think that's a whole interesting like side of it as well because we are like right on this nexus of like E3 died just before the pandemic yeah. and it was dying it was pretty much dead and then now it is dead it's like had a couple of years off or whatever and this is the new normal for, the, for what the summer gaming season is and some people are calling it like uh, key three yes. or whatever and like there's that little sort of like attempt of like because everyone loves summer game reveals we've had them in the industry for decades so why not have something there but I think that it's it is kind of being pulled in a few different directions because you have so many different like whims that want the most out of it and how yeah. it benefits different publishers yeah totally I mean it's just uh, like like you said people uh, dropped out of E3 because they realized they didn't need it anymore yeah. and even around summer games fest if you look at summer games fest as a kind of season rather mm-hmm. than as a show you know every 
everyone's got their own conference. Sony's got their own conference. Uh, Ubisoft's got their own conference. Annapurna's got their own conference. <laughs> Capcom's got their own conference. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It makes sense for them to want to keep their stuff mostly for their own showcases rather than give it out because that, yeah, like you said, the world's changed and in their mind, they're probably like, well, what's what's the benefit? Yeah. We'd rather use it to tease our, our own stuff rather than give it quote-unquote, there it is again, to someone else. <laughs> if we ever release a wind-up t-shirt, it'll just say quote-unquote because that is our go-to. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like you're hopefully putting a trailer out in amongst everybody else because you want to dominate that showcase and then you get to be in all the headlines with the wider search traffic of that showcase, but you could also be buried amongst everybody else that, that I was trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So it can kind of go back and forward. Speaking of going back and forward, let's talk about Prince of Persia. Um, that reveal did a little gun hands. I did, I did. I don't know why. Okay. I just got quite excited because that... That's, curious. That was one of the most exciting parts of the show. When yeah. that first uh, was revealed, first in, in the entire showcase, I thought, we're onto a winner here, boys. They've well, got my, some big guns. My mind did about four different things because I was like, well, we know that the, the, the Prince of Persia remake has largely been canned. It's been like soft rebooted or whatever. The um, the initial version of it got completely canned. Yeah. And then it's being it's still being put out. But like obviously the marketing rollout of remake equals new installment hasn't happened. Like that's usually what happens in the industry, like with Crash or whatever. Um, and then because I was like, well, I'm sure thing is dead this can't be that they can't have put this together in a few months and then it started showing the side scrolling stuff and i was like well okay this must be something else entirely yeah um, and i was like it looks it looks so much like prince of persia but then the main dude doesn't look like he's persian from like visuals so i was like i wonder who this dude is i like the look of everything um, and the movement was absolutely phenomenal i was like this looks too good to be prince of persia this looks too good to be an ubisoft game they've never had something this kinetic ever i like like, like this so, looks too good to be an ubisoft literally game. i was like this is the most if this is if this is ubi like me thinking as it was unfo- uh, unfolding i was like this is the most polished an Ubisoft game has been like earlier in development in years. Like when was the last time you saw something that completely wowed you from an Ubisoft studio? And so when it finally revealed that it was Prince of Persia, I was like, oh my God, thank Like that's awesome. I love the idea that this dude is the prince. I love the idea that this is like what they're doing for the gameplay. And I was completely sold on it. Um, but obviously there's a lot of dislikes as well. Right, well, I know. I, I was laughing so much at like the people who were saying like, this isn't what Prince of Persia is. And I'm like, my guy, you go back <laughs> far enough. Like it started in this way. It was, It's this is more faithful to its roots, arguably, than kind of like those 3D games mm. that came afterwards. Well, the, yeah, I was going to say the original games, not yeah. the original, original. No, 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 100%. No. Uh, and while it's not necessarily for me, this mm. game, this was one of the ones where I was like, I like that this is here. I like that this is being made. When mm. I found out, especially, that it was the people behind the great Rayman recent platforming games, I thought, absolutely, those <laughs> were smooth as butter. They played <laughs> incredibly well. And while the kind of art style itself wasn't for me, mm. I'm going to use a phrase I think you might dislike, but it's <laughs> almost Fortnite-esque in its... Isn't uh, everything. Isn't everything in its um, uh, presentation and aesthetic. Uh, I thought, like, the gameplay, like you said, looked looked really solid and is, like, the best version of that concept, almost. Yeah. I think the whole Fortnite thing is fascinating because it's not that I disagree with it. I just think it's it's become the, it's the Dark Souls of X mm. insert. It just sort of is what people say when anything isn't a maturely designed game. Anything with nice, refined animation is Fortnite-esque. Um, and it's not that it's untrue in this case. This reminded me more of Mortals, of, of Immortals Phoenix Rising, which in itself was quite fortnite anyway. Right. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. I just, I like the idea of them investing, um, you know, in Prince of Persia again and doing something with that IP. Um, but yeah, 
yeah, like you said, that whole idea of rebooting the prince, I did like a whole tweet where I was like, this is to 2023 what Warrior Within was to 2004. Right. Like, okay. Because 2004's Prince of Persia was that weird reboot for Warrior Within where Godsmack's I Stand Alone was on the soundtrack. Every time the uh, Dahaka arrived, it would kick in and everything. Um, that was like a new metal, heavy metal prince because that's what was in at the time. So like, I don't mind them doing a pop culture reboot of the character. They've done that before. And they tried it again after Two Thrones as well. So yeah. it's like, there's a, there's a way to do this that the game that the gameplay should shine through. Jules was saying that like the it's the time mechanics that weren't present, which I totally agree with. Um, obviously, there's more that can be done there. And there was a other cancelled version of Prince of Persia from a few years ago that we didn't get that had more time incentivized stuff. So I guess we'll see. What did you think of Mortal Kombat 1 slash 12? That was, man, I'm going to sound like so negative and I don't want to be. It's just like, it looked like Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. But I popped much more at the CG trailer, funnily enough, than I did from the gameplay because mm. it's not like the gameplay looked bad. It looked incredible. It looked solid. It just looked like a natural evolution of Mortal Kombat 11, which is fine. That game played like incredibly well. Mm. But I, I, I was like, yep, this is what I imagined <laughs> the next Mortal Kombat would be. Yeah, I had a weird thing where I was like, because obviously they built it, up, built it up so much. Ed Boon and Jeff Kelly were both tweeting loads. Oh, come see this at Summer Games Fest. Oh my God, they've got these, all these reveals. It'll blow your mind, et cetera, et cetera. And then and we're always curious what the new cameo system is. That That's the thing that I, I really, I don't like right now and I hope that mm. I change on it going forward. I don't like fundamentally assist-based fighters. Um, I like the idea of a one, of one-on-one combat. Like it's, I, I'm a UFC fan. Like I, I just, I want to watch bouts. I want to watch one-on-ones. Right. I'm not bothered about it just it, this is a stupid reason potentially but it just it breaks my head cannon like why is Sub-Zero standing with his nemesis why is I just none of that and it's so like thrown together and I just I, I don't know it just it, it has a lot of um, opportunities for shenanigans and I know that over on Jeff Gersman's channel X like Giant Bomb Jeff Gersman he had just raw gameplay of playing it and Jax's fatality from MK2 is in there yeah. where he randomly just becomes a giant and steps on someone right. and so I was like okay so we're, we're just doing stuff now and I'm like I can totally go with that MK has always just done stuff um but i just i think because they're relying on the assist mechanics quite a lot for combo extenders and for launches and things like that i mean there's a lot more going on with launches in in general um but yeah there's something about just throwing anybody in there uh, and there's already rumors of like megan fox being in there yeah and like uh, jean-claude van damme's gonna be in there which makes sense for johnny cage but how wide are they gonna go how warner brothers are they gonna get with the microtransactions how yes. like so weirdly thrown in. How Fortnite-esque, ironically, are they going to get with how many different brand deals they can do? And then will the extra characters that we get be cameos? And they I just, I don't know. Like I said, an assist-based fighter does very little for me. Interesting that, especially the thing about it potentially breaking like the immersion in your brain because you're like, why are these characters I just, together? I want, because those, cause those the, to me, Mortal Kombat's roster is one of the coolest rosters of anything ever made. Like I agree. some of the greatest character designs ever. I want them to take center stage. And every time I watch this footage, when I watch the victory animation, it's always shared mm. because it has to be two people on screen every time. And I love MK11's victory animations because they're all slick as hell. And so I don't need this weird. And they're not. They're not even like doing a tag victory animation because those two characters haven't had anything made where they interact with each other. It might be somewhere it's like that. Right. But the ones that I was watching was like Sub Zero with Kano, and they're both just doing separate victory animations but they might as well be green screened together like they're not actually together it's just a weird disconnect for me in terms of like what it feels like to play as those characters I would never have thought about that (laughs) this is why I love doing podcasts (laughs) with you that's not something that I might have just broke that for everybody watching now literally did not even enter my brain like to me as much as I love the Mortal Kombat lore they've always been silly arcade fighters that's why I like 
jumping into them outside of the story mode, of course, which will be interesting to see how they implement the cameo move set mm. in the actual story mode. But when I'm just like, you know, playing the arcade uh, modes or I'm just jumping into training or whatever, like I want to get as silly as possible yeah. with it. So I want to get Robocop in there. I want to get Megan <laughs> Fox in there. I want to do all this John Rambo. stuff. John Rambo in there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I like that. And mm. I think at least with this game from the fatalities that you mentioned there, from the cameo fighters, from the aesthetics of the characters. Mm. I really do like what they're doing with the timeline shenanigans and how they're remixing things. I like that Scorpion and Sub-Zero are brothers now. I don't know what I think about that. Well, yeah. is that not interesting? Because how many times recently have we got a Mortal Kombat game where we've been like, this seems like a bold creative swing in terms of the story and what we know of the mythology. Like, obviously, yeah. they've done bold things. They made Liu Kang a fire god at the end of the last game. <laughs> but in terms of remixing and really playing with um, our expectations, I'd suppose. Well, my thing is just, like, because you had them be age-old enemies for, like, th three decades, and then they finally settled their differences in MK10 and were actively buddy-copping it up in MK11, which I loved, they'd overcome so much and started working together. So when you actually then kill off that version of Scorpion and reset him to the original version, but then you rewrite the rules of the entire timeline anyway, um, that, like, uh, character growth, let's say, or that arc that they went on doesn't exist anymore. No. But they are now just as close because their brothers so it kind of felt like a weird we've wrought ourselves into a corner we've wrought ourselves in a certain direction but we actually want to keep them being close so we'll just make them brothers and it's just like I, yeah for me it was it's just hardcore stupid fanboy stuff yeah. but I was just like I liked it more when they overcame their differences and chose to work together as opposed to writing it that way um, but yeah I guess I'm curious I like what they're in theory what they're doing with Raiden where he gave all of his powers to Liu Kang but he still is demonstrating lightning stuff in the fights anyway so I'm, yeah I'm curious about that whole world because it biome wise it's like old school feudal Japan next to like technologically advanced almost San Francisco in like looking yes. tech stuff then it's it's the way that like God of War's world works where you can walk from one ancient mythology to another and I assume that Liu Kang has just built this world that is multiple timelines multiple time periods yeah. all together and you can just walk from like San Fran to old school Japan like that's <laughs> hey, kind of cool I guess it, like, it well, is yeah. cool hey I, I, I enjoy that stuff like mm. I like that you know Raiden's character model seems so much younger than we've ever seen yeah, him before yeah. for instance I like that talking about the different locations there, I like that you can have this kind of classic MK jungle setting mm. uh, existing side by side with what with what looked like Johnny Cage's, uh, you know, mountainside apartment, like this <laughs> slick, modern, um, you know, flat, essentially. I thought yes. that was... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. 
With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, what Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. Really cool and something I haven't personally seen in a Mortal Kombat game for at least a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, those changes in the aesthetic uh, are neat to me. I was more focused on those and more interested in those than I was the actual fighting mechanics because they, like I said, looked looked like such a natural continuation of what was established in MK11. More so, I think, anyway, and I haven't played these games in a while, than the jump from MK9 to MK10 to mm. MK11. Those leaps, at least from this early stage seemed much more substantial in terms of mechanics and feel than what I'm getting from MK11 to 12. I would massively back that. I wonder how much that comes from like the insider stuff saying that they were initially going to be working on Injustice 3 and then things were like shuffled around internally and they had to do MK12 slash 1 instead. Um, and maybe that scuppered the R&D part of development where it's like, okay, what the hell do we do with this next? Yeah. Let's just do a lot more of the cameo stuff because the cameo fight is just to sort of like, you know, reinforce why I'm skeptical of all of it. They were some of the worst parts of MK11, like that whole idea of like you were getting all these different tokens and unlocks so you could trigger a, a character to leap in and finish a combo for you. They were fun and it was their way of like tapping into the wider like MK character roster. Yeah. But that was also the stuff that was wrapped up in all the microtransaction side of it as well. I just can't help but see that as one of the, it was like it was fine once they balanced it out, but like it wasn't like, I didn't feel like the MK fandom was clamoring for the entire game to be built around that portion of MK11. Um, and I have to assume that in MK1, uh, tw- I want to just call it MK12 because it's the 12th <laughs> main installment um i assume that they'll still have lots of one-on-one bouts as far as i know they haven't shown any yet and maybe they maybe they have somewhere um but i'm just a little bit skeptical of the most warner brothers microtransaction-y parts of mk11 now taking center stage because it was a publisher decision to remix their uh, release schedule anyway 
So it's kind of just, I don't know, I'm just hedging my bets. I love MK. It's in my top three franchises of all time. Yeah. And I'm going to be like super scrutinous of it. So it's just that. Hey, man, like this is Warner Brothers, you know? You yeah. mentioned it there. Like this game absolutely will have some shenanigans <laughs> at launch. Like Warner Brothers are going to see what they can get away with in terms of microtransactions and selling you stuff. Mm-hmm. And we don't know necessarily what form that's going to take right now. But to me, the fact that they're already selling Shang Tsung separately yeah. as a pre-order bonus, I think, yep. uh, is just like, come on, guys. Like, why why do this? You always have great games. The developers are making great games. The publisher is always saying, well, what if we can sell those great games for more? Well, the thing is, and I said this when it got revealed, is this not the only positively received fan-endorsed thing that Warner Brothers has right now, especially in gaming? Something that is largely uncontested when people go, oh my god, Mortal Kombat. It's not like you have that wing of the internet going like, ah, actually, it sucks now. Yeah. Everyone loves MK. So it's like, they're like, how much can we get away with, like you said? Honestly, probably across all of the mediums they dabble in, because I don't know anything like film-related that they have knocked it out the park with recently. No. I know they've recently... Um, yeah, renamed HBO Max to just Max, and there's a and lot of it, yeah. yeah going on with the content on that platform. They're just <laughs> they're having a mare of a time, and yeah, MK is like the one thing that's been consistently good for them. So yeah, maybe they're doing exactly what you mentioned. And also, there. like you know, they have um, Suicide Squad got pushed back a whole year. Yes, so I just I can't not imagine some sort of fin- finger interlocking business person just saying like, well, we can monetize the hell out of that thing and make up the the difference that we have because we've messed everything else up. Well, I, I like like I say, man, I don't think this is you know just judging them on their current form either because you look at Mortal Kombat 11 and the state that launched in with all of the stuff they try to get away with and yeah. how much they had to patch out. Of that game, but it's like they, they they do this every time. They do it every time, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not surprised by it anymore. And it's it's more a matter of when does the backlash start rather than is there going to be some backlash to some of the practices yeah. in the game. And I'd say one of the worst examples, just to throw it in, was uh, Shadow of War, like yeah. trying to over monetize the love of Shadow of Mordor and then killing that game. And you remove all the microtransaction storefront from it, but that was like eight months after launch, and that franchise never ever recovered. I'll never forgive them for patent patenting the <laughs> nemesis, nemesis system. system until like 2035 or whenever it is, <laughs> and then having the audacity to kill the franchise that that was in, <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to not do it any justice, but yeah. also no one else can use it. Great, thank you. I Amazing. assume that that'll be in the Wonder Woman game because there was like this weird leak that she'll use the lasso of truth to turn people to her side and it'll all be right. about building armies and stuff. And I was like, okay, if you're doing something with it, that's cool. But also Shadow of Mordor will be 10 years old next year. Don't say so that. The- <laughs> Don't say that to it's me. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Battleshock Infinite is 10 years old this year. Bloody hell. So it's Last of Us but uh, and GTA 5. But... Um, <laughs> Not to worry. I think in terms of um, overall with Summer Games Fest, um, like you said at the very beginning, the way that Jeff Keighley approached it did feel like um, something more E3 adjacent with the live audience and with like the uh, the celebrity cameos and like that kind of thing. For me, I really, really like that stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, like like I say, it, it, was a, it was a great show in terms of its production. I'm excited to watch it next year. I think mm. Jeff really has something special mm-hmm. with the format and his presence and the way that the games are showed and how it showcases developers. It's just, for me, it is the content. It's mm-hmm. like, what is the content you're delivering? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like I keep saying, from a pure personal taste perspective, <laughs> the content isn't there to justify how nailed down everything else is. Like, gameplay-focused presentations amazing Mm. the stage show the theatrics amazing just get the games (laughs) i know what you mean Josh Brown, let's talk about the Xbox showcase that was a big old deal that was a big old deal and you know what scott tilford 
bloody loved it, I did. <laughs> really, really liked it. I feel like overall, and we mentioned this earlier in, the, in this podcast, um, the rollout of the different showcases, PlayStation was pretty much despised. Summer Games Fest, bit of a mix. And so far with Xbox, it's massively positive. A few people in there. Sort is that of, right? Well, I think so. What okay. I've seen is mostly positive. Oh, I mean, I'm genuinely asking you that right. because I've not been keeping up with it. I, I heard that the PlayStation Fallout, like you said, was uh, not great mm. and now going into Xbox. I actually haven't put my little feelers <laughs> out to see what the reception is. So that's really exciting. So far, so good. I feel like a lot of people were initially blown away by Fable. Obviously, it was maxed out. Like, in terms of just seeing gameplay, can't do it. What's the future of Xbox? Do they have something to get excited about? Starfield, thankfully, coming together. Cross all the fingers. Pray to all the gods. Um, it seems like it'll be extremely solid. Um, but general thoughts on this, and then we'll, we'll run some stuff down. Loved it, man. Yeah. I really did. Like I think they started strong with the first three games that they announced, and they kind of just kept the ball rolling for mm. me. I love a conference. I said this earlier, that a uh, gives me what I want alongside what I didn't know I needed, and this kind of had that for me. Mm. I know some people were maybe complaining a little bit that there wasn't as much gameplay as promised, perhaps, but right. all of the, even the CG trailers that I saw looked really interesting. There was, of course, stuff that I didn't care about in lulls in the show, like mm -hmm. when they were talking about Fallout 76 and the Elder Scrolls Online mm -hmm. and Sea of Thieves updates. Even though they look quite good, it's just like, okay, those are established franchises. Of course, they're going to be there that Microsoft don't. But it was the the world premieres, <laughs> world as premiere. Microsoft loves to say, and how much was on... Yeah, game past day one that I really enjoyed. I think the thing, as a wider thing, again, before we get to like specific game stuff, the thing that it made me think of is the the future that both companies are planning for. If you compare what PlayStation's planning for and what Xbox are planning for, PlayStation seems to be um, the the twin prong approach. Either It's either massive AAA games in the vein of something like A Last of Us or whatever with a massive uh, you know production budget. There's a whole thing doing the rounds at the minute that internally they demand 90 on Metacritic, yeah. which obviously invokes a certain level of polish or graphical style or whatever it is. We'll see how those games will shake out. And a live service future. They've invested a lot in Foam Stars and uh, Fair Games and the various tech around that and getting Bungie to analyze them and whatever. And uh, and Matterall. No, yeah, no, no. Um, Matterfall? No, no, the other one. The Marathon. Marathon. The uh, reboot of Marathon will be in that vein as well. And um, that seems to be Sony's whole thing. Big AAAs and also live service stuff. Xbox's thing, and you saw the worst of it with Redfall, is yeah. letting the devs do whatever, the, quote unquote, whatever they want, like in a wider sense, and a bigger variety of gameplay mechanics, art styles, whatever. And the and then it's all financed by Game Pass, and because they have a certain amount of people on Game Pass, they can afford to free up the creative risk side of it, and they don't need to demand the ninety on Metacritic. They can do stuff that is just a really good seven or an eight out of ten, yeah. or whatever. And I overall, and it, well, this is just right now. We have no idea how it's going to pan out across the next, let's say, the rest of the generation or going forward. I massively prefer Xbox's approach. I'm only talking about approaches, though. So we'll see how it goes. That's it, because the proof is in the pudding, yeah. right? Because for as hyped as I was from Xbox's showcase, their recent track record, Scott Tilford, is not <laughs> is great. Like, you mentioned Redfall there, obviously Halo Infinite before that. They have, of course, made big AAA games that I love. I'm a big fan of the new Gears. Gears 5 especially is my jam. But for, for as promising as all this is, mm. I'm hesitant to fully back them because they Same. are yet to fully deliver something on the level of Sony, for me at least right now. Yes. But uh, that said, I think they had a better conference than Sony. I thought the games were more interesting. And man, we always say it, but Game Pass is the best deal in gaming. By far. And what's so great about Game Pass is that if you have it, it makes the games in showcases like this that you might not necessarily um, be attracted to initially mm. more appealing because you know you're going to be able to play them yeah. without that financial risk, without... I get to see something that might not be 
what I like on paper, but looks a little bit interesting. And rather than saying, oh, I might get to that one day and then never getting to it because it still costs money, mm. I get that access point because mm. it's, you know, quote unquote free because I'm paying for this service. I yes. get to try games that I wouldn't otherwise jump into because of that price barrier. And like you said, sometimes that leads to a, maybe a lack of quality because it's content first over the quality that's going into it. They want people on the service, but I think for conferences anyway, mm. it makes it more exciting because, you know, I'm not necessarily a hardcore racing guy, right. but I'm going to play Forza because <laughs> it is free on Game Pass. It is day one on Game Pass. Yeah, it's one of those things where you've already paid for it anyway, so you might as well. And I think that obviously right now, Xbox literally are in catch-up, and I'm only talking hypotheticals. I'm only talking about a potential future where Sony's live service stuff is established and all their games feel the same. Because we're already a, we've already many times identified the Sony formula, the over-shoulder camera, the light crafting mechanics, the semi-open world, whatever. There are things that point in that direction direction and point at them being the next Ubisoft and then right. you get that tired and do something else. Okay. So it's, that's all I'm talking about is, is potentials. Obviously that shines a big old angelic light on the Xbox stuff and hopes for the best um, because you could end up with a future of Xbox that is just 20 different Redfalls yes. where they're, they're not actually monitored that well um, and then <laughs> they're going to want that either. Um, but I think overall um, they did a good job here of just saying like this is what we're doing. This is our approach to the industry. Um, you know and earlier in the year we had Hi-Fi Rush that was just Shadow Drop. Nice solid little game. 7 8 out of 10, designed to be finished, not designed to have a monthly pass or whatever. There's a way for me that I think that benefits the player um, in a way that Sony's live service feature wouldn't. And it's not, I totally get Sony shooting their shot because they're way out ahead right now. Um, And that's fine. But I think that in terms of the Xbox showcase, uh, the reason it seems to be that a lot of people are super positive on it is remembering why Xbox used to matter. And it used to be a variety of titles. It was that whole 360 era. Um, And I just, I think there's a lot there that could, it's not going to win them the generation. No. But it's very, very strong, especially when they're like they have like ten percent of the market share right now. I think that's a good point. It was the most three sixty feeling showcase <laughs> they've done in a while, and yeah. I've been a fan of Xbox's recent showcases. Like the last two, I really enjoyed. Mm. I think the the twenty twenty ones in particular was good, if I am remembering correctly. But here, yeah, like you said, you've got those returning franchises, you've got those new IPs that are coming, mm-hmm. and more importantly, how many years have we spent? in this room or a room like it or working from home (laughs) saying, when are we going to finally see what all of these studios that Microsoft has bought are working on? And I felt like I finally got a glimpse of that here. I didn't get stuff that I might have wanted, like an update on State of Decay 3. Mm. Gears 6 or anything like that, but I got to see what In Exile was working on. I got to see more from Avowed. I got to see uh, a bunch of other titles that we're definitely going to talk about, Um, and that was really cool. Well, my thing with Avowed was, like, I wasn't expecting that game to almost play like uh, Bulletstorm, where you're, like, booting dudes across the landscape, and I was like, okay, that's a really cool, more innovative, more immediately playable way to contend with the Bethesdas. You don't even need to contend with them, because they're in your wider family, but a way to be distinct. Um, Obsidian forever in the shadow of Bethesda, in terms of the optics of that company. I absolutely love Obsidian and I'm always wanting them to be um, recognized on the same level, if not above Bethesda, which is why we should talk about Avowed because this is something that, I mean, was mentioned what, when the Series X was first announced? Yeah, we got that CG trailer, I think, from back in the day. It was like a whole thing. And so for me, yeah, the way that the gameplay came across was really solid. And for me, that was just emblematic of the of the Game Pass 
idea. I was going to say promise there, but I feel like it's just the idea of it. Because right now they're out there saying that they're going to be doing four major first-party games every year. They initially said they would have like two, I think it was a few years ago. They couldn't maintain that. So doubling it and trying to stick to it is a different thing. Um, But overall, like that conversation on in-engine gameplay or gameplay in general, I think is another reason that people were a bit disappointed with. There's some people who are a little bit disappointed with it. Um, I wasn't because I was like, Fable, it says in-engine. Oh my God, that's a big old well-rendered Ritual doing his thing. Yeah. Um, I thought in engine is like a nice middle ground of the CG stuff on the PlayStation side and something that's maybe like a lesser production budget on the Summer Games Fest side. Yeah, me too, man. Because I mean, even that Fable one, it looked at least that what we were seeing, like you said, it definitely was in engine, but mm. it might even be a cutscene in the game itself, you mm-hmm. know. And then we did it did feel like we got like a little bit of gameplay towards the end with the character running away from Richard Iowati's <laughs> giant and stuff. So to me, they, they struck a nice balance of at least trying to represent what the game's gonna look like mm. and not having proper CG trailers where it's like, okay, the game is not going to look anything <laughs> like this. This is, this is you know, just their visualization of what the game could be and its themes and its atmosphere and mm. all of that stuff. Same with Avowed. Like, I thought Avowed, like, that seemed really gameplay-focused mm. of a reveal, which mm-hmm. was great after we saw the CG trailer a few years ago. And um, I know I'm jumping between the two games now, but for me, Avowed looked, like, great. It looked like how I expected it to, mm. almost the Skyrim-esque um, fantasy game by Obsidian. But what Obsidian well, said since has been really appealing. Like, they've said that initially they wanted to, it to be, like, a Skyrim killer. It was going to be their big <laughs> open-world fantasy game. Okay. But they've since not scaled it down, but certainly scaled it down in terms of the ground mass that you're covering. It doesn't seem like it's open-world anymore. It seems like it's a bunch of different areas, kind of like how Outer Worlds um, handled hmm. it, where it gave you hubs and mini open worlds rather than like one that. big one. Dead Island 2, baby. Dead Island 2, yeah. and I like that because like they said in their post-trailer interview, mm. it means they can focus on depth uh, rather than just the sheer breadth of the game or mm. the sheer scope of the game, so they can go deeper with their choices, which to me is something that Outer Worlds did lack. I loved the polish of that game, but it wasn't up there with New Vegas in terms of the agency you had as a character or the stories that you were involved in. Mm. I, I would rather, I would prefer a smaller landmass with more interesting stories than a bigger one that's more sparse and more focused on gameplay loops. Which is a perfect segue into what Bethesda are building. Because Starfield, is. I think they said it's like a thousand or 10,000 planets or something. Um, and obviously the go-to with that is to worry about how procedurally generated they are. Is it going to be another No Man's Sky situation? And there's been a lot of conversation around how authored those planets are. That was one of the biggest things they wanted to uh, nail down. There was a separate Starfield Direct after the Xbox showcase, um, which we both tapped out of after a while, just because you want to experience some of it when you go in fresh. That's literally it. It wasn't because I thought it was bad. I thought it was (laughs) too too good. good. It was too good. And I wanted to experience, especially like the uh, character customization and your first mission. Mm. I want to do that fresh because I'm already sold on it, man. I kind of was a few years ago after the first trailer. Like it already sounded like something I'd be interested in. Mm. And to see them, yeah, yesterday um, at the time of recording, you know, address the idea of how are they going to address the fact that they have a thousand planets? How are they going to make it feel curated (laughs) or interesting? To me, it works on that that level because, you know, it's almost so far removed from what Avowed and the Outer Worlds was doing that it's like a completely different thing. Like the pleasure of this game presumably is going to be as much in like exploring these uninhabited planets and just seeing what's out there Mm. as much as it is taking on missions and getting better loot. Like it's that sense of exploration that you get from a game of this scale that I'm looking forward to. And yeah, it might end up sparse, but I mean, 
I love Mass Effect 1, Scott Telford, right? Me too. And I love the planets that you can drop on in that game, even though they are kind of all the same. And there's one little variety, base. And there's one base on each one. <laughs> it's just that kind of almost childish wonder that I've been striving for yeah, since but. Mass Effect dr- dropped and obviously No Man's Sky tapped into it. Now Starfield feels like it's doing it on a bigger budget mm-hmm. that I, I can, I, I cut it a lot of slack, perhaps wrongly, but it's so up my street that I can't help it. No, I thought that like, it's one of those things where I was like, this looks like the most robust Bethesda game they've had in a long time. Looks very, very polished. They've obviously had to take the time to make sure it's like worthy of like an Xbox first party game. And um, some of the character animations, interactions, some of the dialogue bits, like that's where I was like, yeah, it's still a Bethesda game. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Still that engine underneath. Absolutely. Um, but overall, it is with the, with Bethesda, it was always the scope. It was always the, oh my God, how have they built this much stuff um, and made it feel authored. Like for as humongous as Skyrim is or was, um, it always felt authored. It didn't feel like any part of it was procedurally generated, even if there were parts to the land, landmass that were like that. Um, and that's the thing that I think Will carried over the top. Like they, now they finally, finally, after like 10 years, have a game that you should buy a series system to play. Yes. Like in theory. Well, it, like, the proof is it the looks button. good though because I mean we can sit here and say yeah this footage looks polished but this is Bethesda we're talking about <laughs> when have they released a polished game in their lives literally never you'll want to hope this is the one yes. and everything they showed was promising but yeah the proof will ultimately be there day one because yes. I mean Redfall looked polished and then look how that turned uh, out when it that. finally released Cyberpunk as well which is Cyberpunk as well have a little showcase little showing uh, at the showcase where they got Keanu Reeves back out to talk about Phantom Liberty now one massive thing with this game and it's not Xbox related necessarily but it's worth flagging is that Phantom Liberty um, heralds a complete overhaul of that base game for free um, it's almost like this weird like they're barely talking about it they're just yeah. sort of doing this uh, this DLC out on the Star Zedra Selba um, and apparently but apparently has just as much content is in it as the main game but they've also gone back and overhauled the game added all these different AI systems added um, vehicle car chases overhauled the skill tree the UI everything the graphics model the graphics in general look way better Yeah. Um, I was watching the, the video during the Xbox showcase thinking like this looks so much noticeably better than it did um, either on the old school versions or the ones that were sort of semi for new gen um, and then they had the new gen update as well but yeah it's just worth flagging that if um, in terms of cyberpunk stuff they're doing a lot to it again you know what man I love and resent this. I love the fact that they're actually sticking with the game and yeah. they are constantly committed to improving it mm. and releasing it in the state that it should have been or what they promised way back when. Mm. But as someone like you who played that game at launch on the PlayStation 5, even though there wasn't a PlayStation 5 version <laughs> then, and suffered through all the bugs and still had quite a nice time, like I still can't get over the fact that I want to play this version of it. I right, want right. to play this polished Yeah optimized, fully updated with features version of it, and I'm simply not going to be mm. like, at this point, with the next-gen updates, with the patches, and with this overhaul, they've created like four versions of this game, yeah, all yeah. marginally better, and it's like, how am I? Like, come on, come on! <laughs> no, I massively agree, like, that, that's the thing. It's like, I'm glad to see it, like, yeah. in its own little bubble, but, like, you should have had this back in 2020. Like, yes. this should have been the thing that it launched with. Um, yeah, that's that kind of goes without saying at this point because it is so long in the tooth how fixed it should have been at launch. But, um, I mean, they already kind of did the next-gen version that was meant to have all these different things in that, it, that weren't there at launch. Now, and I forgot what the name of the, the new creative director is, um, he just keeps mentioning people complained about this, so we fixed this. People wanted car chases, so we put them in. People wanted better police chases, so we put them in. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this isn't what you guys were making 
thinking anymore. This yeah. is just like how many little ember fires can we put out now that we've done the bigger one? Yeah, man, honestly, like Cyberpunk's DLC, I'm all here for. It mm. is just that situation of like the base game. For me, as someone who definitely was burned on that at launch, you know, <laughs> yeah. I feel a bit resentful. Perhaps wrongly, perhaps from a petty standpoint. I don't think so necessarily because I was nope. sold one thing and didn't get it. Massively. Uh, that I'd, I'd, I will never get the best version of that game because even if I play it again, mm. like you only get one time through a game with that kind of sense of wonder. And I feel like I know what Night City is from its core base. I know what weapons are in there. Mm. I know what the missions ultimately play like. And all of this stuff is really nice, but mm. I'd have loved that next-gen version of it. Hopefully, though, I scratch that itch with the DLC itself, which sounds great, hopefully. Yes. Again, fingers crossed, proof is in the pudding. But, you know, it's... CD Projekt Red have made great expansions expansions <laughs> in the past. I loved The Witcher 3, Blood and Wine. And if it's anywhere near that level, it's going to uh, be something that's uh, on my radar. And the fact that it's coming out this year as well yeah. is a plus might finally get me back into this that game. That was the the thing of like realizing that, yeah, it's been three years since yeah. Cyberpunk. Like obviously they devoted a whole bunch of resources to fixing the version that came out, but now they've just sacked off the last gen versions, the PS4, the Xbox One, and that stuff's just gone. So they're just making the, finally making the actual next gen thing. Um, in amongst all this uh, coverage as well was mentioned of Cyberpunk 2077 sequel. Yeah. And we don't know what the hell that thing's going to be called. I think that had been leaked beforehand, mentioned a little bit beforehand in investors calls and stuff. They confirmed it last year, Scott. Right, okay. Yeah, like the, uh, it was it's fair to kind of let it slip your mind because mm. it was when they announced like the Witcher reboot and like oh, the next yeah, Witcher yeah, yeah. game. It was like that big slate of uh, titles that they announced. And yeah, Cyberpunk 2077 2 mm. was uh, in, in, <laughs> in that. But yeah, like, I haven't really mentioned it much since but because just, like, the focus has been on this. Bringing it up again because when we talk about it, like you said, you talk about how broken the launch was, how split those versions were. Then there was the next gen version that came like a year and a half after. And now there's the actual next next gen version that is fundamentally built without any of the previous stuff that is another overhaul. So it's like, okay, if you haven't played yet, I guess now you should come in but we've been saying that for the last two versions anyway. <laughs> that's true, that's so like, true. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we mentioned a little bit before about gameplay and um, and you know that, that difference between in-engine stuff, whether it's satisfying and actual gameplay. Um, a few games did get proper gameplay showcases, like Avowed, but also like Clockwork Revolution, which is an Exile's new game, which I thought was like Bioshock 4 for a while. It looked it's like very it Bioshock. I this was one of my games of the show because mm. In Exile have a great track record, but they've never built something on this scale. Like, they are known when they were bought by Xbox mm. for their isometric RPGs. Mm. Like, they were obviously, like, very indebted to that kind of old-school style of game. So to have them hopefully bring the depth that comes with that, you know, subgenre to something more action-focused, to a first-person shooter, it mm. looks like, that's exciting. I didn't expect to see that at all. And if I saw a new In Exile game, I thought it was going to be like the ones they created before. So this, right. is, this to me, was like... Microsoft setting themselves up as like the place to be for RPGs. You've got Bethesda. Oh, yeah. You've yeah. got In Exile. You've got Obsidian. Not to mention the other devs that work for you. Like, those are a big three. And from the games that were shown, man, like, it's an RPG uh, guy's <laughs> dream, you know? I think as well, like, that idea of like, because Game Pass bolstered every single one of these reveals, like, you can just, you can pick one of them and you know that you'll have it for the next few months. Like, you don't have to worry about trading it in for the next thing, which seems to be the go to at the right now, trying to keep up with every single release. Um, but I think Game Pass solves a lot of that stuff. 
Um, but yeah, also in here, just in terms of things that have been teased for a while or sh has been shown for a while, Hellblade 2, which I thought had a bit of a flat react, a bit of a flat showcase this time, considering <sighs> the first time they showed it, well, the first time they showed it was when the Series X was confirmed, but that really cool yes. facial animation. And then there was the gameplay demo, which looked incredible. And then this one was just a cutscene. It was. Could and that a little was bit more. A little bit unexpected, mm. wasn't it? You know, it's, 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 it's nice to see an update on it. Mm -hmm. This is a game, though, that I'm just kind of, I'm sick of hearing about oh, okay. almost. I will play it when it's out, but mm. I mean, it was announced so many years ago. Like you said, it's had these two reveals already. Mm. And even now, after last night's showing, I don't feel like I know any more about the game or Same. really what it is. Of course, it looks gorgeous. You know, the original Hellblade did. Of course, the sound mm. design uh, is immersive, just like the original. Of course, mm -hmm. the performances look spot on. It's just... I need almost need the game itself. It's had such a long tail, and I just kind of want to have it in my hands well, to I, know what it is. I kind of couldn't believe that Melina Jurgens was saying we've just finished recording now. Yeah, and I, I was know, like, right? I, haven't you? Uh, Hell, Hellblade was like 2018, and like, and I know that they've been they had this whole new like way of recording the performances that was yeah. like uh, it was uh, digitizing in real time or something. So I get that, but then I know that Ninja Theory also got out there. I always get the dev. No, it is Ninja Theory for those it guys. Is yes. So the team is. Ninja or Ninja Theory? I'm gonna yeah, go Ninja, Ninja Theory. Theory. Yeah. Um, they got out there during the pandemic, I think it was, showing um, like a new Unreal Engine 5 style tech demo where they'd like rendered their own kitchen and it looked incredible. And yeah. I was like, you're not doing Hellblade with the, is, is Senua's kitchen, is it? What are we doing? <laughs> and uh, so now that they've said, oh, we finally wrapped Hellblade, I'm like, okay, good. Cause like, that's what I thought you'd already had banked because you were showing other stuff. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's beyond time. I suppose on the, on the plus side or a potential positive, it makes me wonder about the scale of the game. Mm. Like, how big is this game going to be if it's been in development for this long, if they're True. just wrapping up, you know, doing the mocap and finishing off the, the finalizing the script, the, mm. the shooting script. Mm. That, to me, is is exciting because it's already seems from the trailers that we've seen a much bigger game than mm. the original was. You know, I really enjoyed the original, but the gameplay was a little bit repetitive. Yeah. Like, the level design. Puzzles suck. The, and the puzzles weren't all that great. So this just seems like such a bigger beast, and that is cool. I just, mm. I want to... I need to see a little bit more because these kind of like drip feed teasers aren't necessarily doing it for me. Mm, I'll tell you what drip feed tease did oh, do I'm it for you was Still Wakes the Deep. Yes, that was both did. of our games of the show or one of many anyway. Um, the next game from, um, I think it's the Chinese Room. Chinese the dudes room. that did Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Um, which that game, I loved Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. That was like sort of one of those games that is held up as like, ah, you know, it's too arty for its own good. And it is very, very arty. Um, and it kind of disappears up its own bum. But at the same time, I had a lot of fun with that. And I thought it was yeah. quite hauntingly, I thought it was really effective, atmospheric, and especially towards the end. Um, very, very effective in terms of the twists and everything. Um, so I love them sort of doing, why don't we do a really creepy horror set out at sea on like an oil rig or something. Yeah, man. Um, that thing seemed very, very promising. Ah, like, like, like you said, you know, also my game of the show. Mm. You know, I, I was a big fan of everyone's gone to the rapture. I thought in terms of atmosphere, that game just nails it. Like walking around that um, deserted English <laughs> town yeah. and trying to figure out what's going on. Like the sense of place has always been great. Their attention to detail has always been great. So to see that transferred to this, like you said, spooky oil rig. <laughs> <laughs> in in this thunderstorm, you know, rain swept, dark, mm. moody, uh, rusty, like that just was ticking all my boxes in terms of personal taste. Yeah, like that. I, I think I might message you saying that's like a bit of me. That's oh, yeah, like, we if just... you designed a game for me. It looks like this. It's always one of those things where I can't because obviously like feeds load in different amounts of lag. And I was right. like, we would message each other in like all caps. Oh my god, this thing! And I was like, okay, which thing is it? The one that's ending? Or did something happen? Um, but yeah, with that one, we were both like, this looks incredible. Just like good Lovecraftian adjacent sea horror is always yes. a good way to go. 
man, and I feel like it's in right now. Like, mm. after having played Dredge, I've got the itch for that kind of stuff. <laughs> so hopefully uh, it, it has the narrative to kind of bolster the aesthetics and the visuals and the mm. atmosphere. And, I, and, I, and I'd hope so from the, the developers that are on board. Yeah, yeah. Did anything else um, stand out, out to you that you want to mention, or shall we wrap? There is one that I have forgotten the name of, and this is not because of the game's quality. It's because I'm just bad at remembering <laughs> names, people, or otherwise. But it was like the second one we, we saw that uh-huh. was like the uh, the person playing the guitar is set in oh the Oh, my South. God, Compulsion Games? That, yeah, the South Compulsion, of Midnight. South of Midnight, yeah, South of Midnight. I thought, like, again, visually that looked like very much my thing. Awesome like, art style. Awesome like, missing every style. other frame kind of thing? Yeah, really great sweet. animation style. Again, moody. Uh, atmospheric. I want to know more. Mm. Like I, I, don't, I don't really know much about compulsion games as a dev, no. so they're quite new to me. But in terms of making a first impression, I thought it was like spawn. No man, same. I was one of those ones where, like, I obviously you know that whole conversation on does in-engine game play or in-engine uh, game rendering satisfy? It totally did for me because I can look at that and go, well, the game engine's going to be something similar to that. It's going to play yeah. um, with a level of fidelity that it should match that kind of thing. Um, also, shout out to this accurate guitar work. Very rare. Right, in yeah, video yeah, games yeah, yeah. where they're actually doing the right chords and doing the right strings and everything. I thought it was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, it's one of those showcases that had a good mix of stuff. Obviously, the first party came out strong. There are still some uh, notable absences, like the Future of Gears or um, whatever. But I th- for overall, they needed this to hit, and yes. they very much did. This is it. This is the highest praise I can give this showcase, and I forgot to mention it earlier <laughs> because we kind of went on to a vow, but I even liked Fable. No right. one Fable hated Josh Fable Brown. rules, man. Really loved the Fable trailer. Yeah. I thought in terms of the Britishness of the humor. <laughs> uh, it, it was the kind of stuff that I actually like and don't really cringe at. I mean, it, Richard Iowati is great, makes yeah. great movies, by the way. He's an incredible director uh-huh. uh, in his like deadpan delivery as that character, spot on the kind of mockumentary style <laughs> framing that they had, spot on. I was I was way more down for that game after having seen that trailer than I ever was before. Do you think? I'm just saying this and hoping that it's true. They've got Carl Pilkington in there. <laughs> I'm just thinking <laughs> the entire the do. entire tone is like, oh, heroes are a bit bit full of themselves. Aren't they? That would easily work for him. I'll tell you who they absolutely will have, and he's in Final Fantasy 16. Oh, the Finchie. Finchie from The Office, who's in all of those <laughs> fantasy games. He's in The Witch, he's in The Green Knight, he's in, if you have like a high fantasy He's about to be in game, Final Fantasy 16 as well. That's what I mean. And you need a Yorkshireman, you get, a, you get that guy I don't, name, thing, I forget. No one knows his name. I know obviously they do, probably his parents. But like, uh, he's in everything at the minute. Diablo 4, Final Fantasy 16. It's just that dude has an incredibly deep voice. Is he in Diablo 4 yeah, as well? Yeah, he's like the first right. mage that you meet. He's like this like, ev- well, he's not evil, but he's like, it's like uh, menacing, mysterious type dude who uh, helps you out. But I don't trust him. No. I don't trust him very well. Because for now, this has been The Wind-Up. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. To be heard by all of you, I didn't do an introduction, but I will do an outro. That is Bye. Bye. Bye.